Welcome to the Orange Silicon Valley BistroCast, the podcast about what's new, next, and what matters in the world of tech. I'm your host, Brian Warmoth, the content lead here at Orange Silicon Valley. And today, it is my pleasure to welcome two of my favorite experts and colleagues to join the show, John Eisenman and George Livingston. John and George, welcome to the BistroCast. I'll, I'll let them talk to you here in a few minutes about what they're working on, but uh, they're hosting uh, Orange Silicon Valley's next Hello Wednesday event on May 5th, uh, which will be focused on building trust in business and society with blockchains. Uh, so I wanted to invite them here to, ahead of time to level set on what's going on in the blockchain world right now and what that means for companies looking for solutions in areas of trust, corporate responsibility, uh, and other topics, uh, which which uh, they explore every day at Orange Silicon Valley. So, gentlemen, uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, John, maybe it would be best to have you go first. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on the history of blockchain use, but could you tell me briefly why this technology, which originally gained traction with the rise of cryptocurrencies, has become so attractive for other purposes? Sure, Brian. Uh, and in fact, I, I'll just start prefacing that cryptocurrency is the primary use case, but there are other use cases, and we could talk about why. Um, and even within the use case of cryptocurrency, there are multiple use cases, right? I mean, it was originally designed Bitcoin as a payments network. Um, and that's kind of pushing the whole industry forward, including governments, uh, to think about central bank digital currency. If, if Bitcoin and blockchains weren't maybe a threat, then it wouldn't have pushed governments to act nearly as quickly uh, to, to come up with uh, um, some other kind of currency that is digital. The other thing that people use it for besides just investing is something called DeFi, which is decentralized finance, which is trying to replicate maybe like the banking system as smart contracts in a more decentralized way. And then thirdly, the way that people use cryptocurrency is in the form of what might be called utility tokens, which some of you may remember from a few years back, we had all the interest in ICOs. And, and and we have a colleague here in our Silicon Valley who, who coined a phrase that I really like. Uh, and he said that uh, maybe the blockchain and cryptocurrency is the business model for open source. So that if you're going to implement open source and start a network, um, if you associate what's called the utility token, a, a currency just for use with that uh application, that that is a way to kind of monetize that and to mobilize a community by aligning incentives, which is kind of what people learn from Bitcoin. But but um, I can kind of go forward and back up a bit and say, well, um, remember that um, cryptocurrency, uh, you know, is, is what stuck uh, as the name of what you use, um, you know, for Bitcoin or something similar like Ethereum. But it's really one of a few different pillars of what makes a blockchain interesting. One is cryptography, which gave us the name, right, for, for cryptocurrency. But uh, another big part of it is what's called the consensus mechanism, which if you, which is a... Uh, an academic uh, study by the academic discipline, which might be called distributed systems, right? So cryptographers uh, study cryptography and distributed uh, systems people study many things, including consensus mechanisms. And, and really that was one of the other big pillars of what made Bitcoin and then other blockchains a success. And third was the whole crypto economic aspect, which is, you know, which isn't strictly um, the, uh, a computer science, but it's thinking about how to align economic incentives, right? For like the miners, you know, you don't want the miners to attract the chain. How do you get everybody's incentive aligned? So uh, it kind of brought in computer science to bring in a little bit of economics. 
So Bitcoin is a decentralized payments network, but blockchains can be used for other distributed systems. And that was kind of the insight that people had that said, hey, this is interesting from that point of view. You could rethink business practices with a more distributed approach, right? Uh, for instance, if you have a few different companies working together, you don't have to say, well, one company holds all the data. You could kind of share a blockchain to control that data. And that gives you things that companies want and that people want transparency. The data is outside the control of only one company. Uh, data in the blockchain could even maybe be in the public realm, so you don't have to trust one company or one consortium. Uh, the data, once you've written it, there, written it there because of the properties of the blockchain, is almost can be considered immutable, or at least any change can be detected. So you don't have to, you know, like you could, it's more open and transparent in that way. And you've, everybody's heard of smart contracts now, which is a way to expand the functionality of a blockchain in some kind of automated way um, that built into the system. So all of these things together, uh, you know, made people think, hey, this, this blockchain that was invented for cryptocurrency, sure, that's a good use case, but, but we could come up with some others. I see. Well, maybe this gets this touches a little bit on the next question I wanted to ask you, which was exactly what are we talking about when we talk about trust in relation to company goals and blockchain tech? Uh, I, I'd like to hear some more when you say when you talk about like this consent, the consensus mechanism, when you talk about, um, you know, shared blockchain use among companies mm -hmm. what what exactly are they trying to do there um, is is trust the end goal? Or how, how should we associate trust with blockchain solutions? Well, this is a kind of a complex topic, and different people think yeah. about it differently. There's a whole philosophical yeah. way of thinking about it. There's the way that people in the industry think about it, and there's the way that outsiders think about it. And it's not always in alignment. So the, let me give like a little bit of a high level. So inside the industry, people often say that the blockchain is for trust minimization, which sounds kind of funny. It's like, why do I want to minimize trust? And what they mean, it's it's to place limits uh, on, on, on who the parties and what other parties, people or companies you need to trust. And, and one thing that a little glib that people say in the industry sometimes is don't trust, validate. Like, like you don't need to trust. So, so the data is distributed. So you can validate, for instance, in a Bitcoin transaction that it's correct. You don't need to trust that it's correct. Um, of course, at some point, you're just kind of moving the trust. You still need to trust like the correctness of the code, right, <laughs> that's running. But uh, so you never say that it eliminates the need to trust, but it, it can minimize it. And there's a concept of distributed trust. You're trusting the system as a whole. You're trusting right. that the code. Well, you're, you're trusting something that's validating. You're trusting the process of the validation. You're trusting yes. the network. You're, you're, yeah. you're trusting the network as exactly. a whole. You're trusting your node on the network or a node that somebody is running for you. And you're trusting that the code is running correctly. But you don't have to trust an intermediary. Like you're not trusting your bank to say it. You're, you're trusting a bit of code in the network. So people call this a little bit distributed trust. Um, you're trusting the system as a whole. So some people in the blockchain say something that I don't think is quite correct, but they say trust the math, right? It's not really math, it's an algorithm, computer, computer code, but that's what they like to say, just trust the math. Um, it's, it's a little glib, but it kind of gets at a, a certain kind of idea. So you can, so if somebody's sending me a payment, and I don't know that person, 
I, I, as long as the transaction is digitally signed with the right keys, I can trust that I'm going to receive that payment. And then similarly, um, I know that the blockchain is not going to reverse that payment once it's been confirmed, whatever the definition of confirmed is for that blockchain or finalized. And and in some ways, so some is yeah, you are trusting the network. So it's kind of a paradox, like trusting having to trust individual companies and people less means you could have more trust in a system as a whole. Mm-hmm. And do you, yeah. do you, yeah, but well, what I want to know is, uh, do you think people understand that uh, Do you th- in, in sort of the, the corporate responsibility world that's evaluating blockchains? And do you think that's an easy story to tell uh, coming from a blockchain solution world to maybe enterprises? Well, I, I don't know, and maybe George could weigh in a little bit on this about the, the CSR world, but I think that what people who are not closely paying attention to the f- philosophy or to the technology, they see it as increasing trust because they want to trust the network. And they see it also, I think they get the message they're beginning to. Uh, it's it's a it's a bit of a trade-off because when we first uh, a few years back five years ago started talking to business people and I would say look use the blockchain you don't have to trust uh, place so much trust in the other counterpart the counterparty the business and they said well the whole point of business relationships is about trust that's what business is so they didn't mm-hmm. they didn't really mm-hmm. get that value but as I I think they're coming around to a little bit and the better message for that audience is to trust the system as you said and there are reasons you would want to do that beyond the business trust between the two that gets to what what you're talking about of a little bit of uh, a social responsibility angle is that uh, you could have individuals, for instance, say controlling their own identity or data about themselves. And then you can start trusting them when they say, when I say I'm John Eisenman and this is my phone number, right? A business might say, well, why should we believe you on that? And then you could say, look, here is a certificate of trust on the blockchain, you know, coming from my government or coming from you know, my te- orange, my telecom provider saying, this is my name and my phone number. So I'm holding it. You don't have to, you know, go store it in some database that could be a honeypot for criminals. But at the time that I present it as an identity card or for something like that, um, they can see that that transaction is actually in the blockchain and they can believe that. So it's, it's uh, even though, you know, initially the blockchain is designed without identity, you can add things like identity or, or other certificates of of trust, you know, with something uh, sustainably harvested, whatever, as long as somebody writes that into the blockchain, everybody can can read that and therefore can in, improve trust. I understand. George, do you want to pick up on that point there about where this where this connects with uh, corporate responsibility goals? We, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the, the history of the blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies, where it came from and what it's used for. But uh, what innovative cases do you see emerging right now that leverage trust as a selling point, particularly? Sure. Yeah. So I guess just first to just generally address, uh, you know, John's point about this trust minimization within the blockchain world versus uh, trust, you know, in a corporate social responsibility context or where I think actually, you know, it, it is really about trust uh, and actually areas where, where trust has been eroded, you know, consumer trust or investor trust or just the general trust that society places um, in 
corporations in, in areas where that's been eroded uh that's where you're actually seeing the strongest uh uh i think uh use cases for blockchain in the sustainability or corporate social responsibility space is it, is it fair um, to say uh, is yeah. it fair to say the strength there comes from people on the customer end trusting the blockchain as an intermediary is that a, a fair way to look at it or no but john if you have thoughts i'm curious to hear what you say to have to say too yeah i mean i think it's it's areas where um you blockchain is replacing sort of intermediaries that that obscured the, you know the ability to verify corporate activities um so, so like well I, I'll, I'll just mention a specific example and then maybe john john could could add on so like in the sustainability space for me actually the the most innovative use cases that leverage trust specifically as a selling point um, are coming from cases where uh, startups are building business models to address greenwashing you know so greenwashing has has become it's been pretty common over the past few decades, and and what does it mean? Um, there's a lot more pressure there. on. Uh, uh, the, the, well, so so so, the, so companies have, you know, uh, they want to appear sustainable. They they want to appear, um, uh, you know, show that they're doing good for society beyond just their bottom line, their their profits, um, and they're. There've been a lot of marketing efforts that are somewhat ins- insincere that have happened, um, where companies have claimed that they're maybe using more renew- renewable energy than they actually are, or that their supply chains are ha- have more sustainable practices than they actually do. Maybe um, ways that might you know. make their claims seem inauthentic. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, and so, so lack of trust is a major issue, both consumers when they're identifying products they want to buy and for investors that want to understand, you know, what really is the true environmental social governance score for this company. And so there's a startup called Regen Network that that I think is an interesting example here because they're dealing with the problem of what happens really far upstream in supply chains um, for CPG products. So this would be like candy bars, for example, like for for Mars or Nestle. And consumers want to know like what's happening on the chocolate farms and the sugarcane plantations. Um, how are farmers being treated and what are they doing environmentally on those farms? Are they are they helping to uh, plant trees or are they deforesting? Are, are they sequestering carbon in the soil or are they releasing carbon into the air? And so um, it provides visibility uh, into the uh, supply chain. Yeah. 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 So, but what Regen is doing is using um, satellite imagery to record what's happening on those farms, and then uh, recording those changes on the blockchain on a blockchain ledger, um, so that that people trust that there there's you know an, an accurate ledger as to what activities are happening, and and then they're also using AI to analyze the satellite imagery, and so it's it's um it's a way to um, create trust in a space where there wasn't trust and it unlocks revenue streams um, where those farmers actually can be paid now for the efforts they're doing to replant trees or to sequester carbon in the soil. And, and the companies in some cases can also be compensated either through increased investment um, or through pro- new products that they can develop. Um, so for, for example, Microsoft just uh, bought like 43,000 metric tons of soil carbon credits from Regen just this year. And it's really be- it's all really about the trust that that in a kind of broken system that Regen has um, fostered. It makes sense. So, and and yeah. uh, you know, it, it, you you use the term as the blockchain as intermediary. Uh, usually, people in the industry don't think of it that way. Uh, yeah, they think of it as, as a, well, no, no, just because 
they're keen to remove the need to trust intermediaries. So I guess you could yeah. think of the technology as the intermediary, but they think of it yeah. as you more like what you said earlier as the system. It removes the need for an intermediary. Right. So uh, what they, one example, I don't know if it's actually come to fruition. We know a few companies like Provenance that were looking at this a while ago. And George gave a very detailed answer. This is a very short, a little bit more hypothetical answer because you'd have to think how this works. So there's a, a forest that is being ecologically sustainably harvested. And maybe there's a certifier who already exists who says, I certify, I watched what you did and I certified that you did it correctly. So you need to trust that certifier. Maybe it's a government that you do trust or some other org. Okay, so then that wood gets like sold through a bunch of people and then the end ends up in a you know a desk that you buy and there's a sticker on it that says you know and the salesman says yeah this is economic this is you know environmentally uh, sustainably harvested wood that this desk is made from but you have to trust a whole lot of people in the supply chain so what they kind of propose is that if there was a way to track this you know as it went all the way through the supply chains and made sure that nobody was cheating and claiming other wood that wasn't part of the sustainably harvested wood was, you know, kind of added in the lumber yard into that pile that, you know, that, that this would be a way to have to eliminate some of that trust to say, you know, I got a share of that wood, you know, one, one, you know, one, one thousandth or whatever in this desk. And I have that token on the blockchain. And I know that, you know, the blockchain, I trust the technology of the blockchain that people just don't create those out of thin air. And I trust the certifier, you know, who, who certified it originally. And I don't really have to trust all the people in between because I know that nobody could have added that. You know, uh, it's kind of the idea. It's a little bit hypothetical at this point. And, and then the case that, uh, that, that George mentioned was a little bit more real. But there are companies hoping to get to this end goal you're a consumer, you walk into the store, you buy the desk, you take out your phone, you check it on the blockchain and you say, yes, this desk really is, you know, using some of that uh, uh, sustainably harvested wood. So is it, is it fair to say it's more useful in B2B versus B2C use cases? Or it sounds like I'm hearing examples of both coming from you. So I actually think, you know, it's really B2B if, if you're talking about the business models that, that the the blockchain startups in the sustainability space, or at least in the industries I'm familiar with, that's that's where where the business model is. But that doesn't mean that it's not it's sometimes surface to consumers. So, like, so if you look at like agriculture, energy, supply chain, climate tech, um, the vast majority of use cases that I see are, are B two B, and it's usually startups targeting actually pretty large corporate customers, um, not small medium businesses in most cases. And then it's it's there are some consumer facing products like John mentions. Farmer Connect is an example. Uh, with coffee beans, where consumers can go right now for Folgers and uh, other major coffee coffee brands you're familiar with, you can go to the store. There's a QR code, scan it with your phone, and you can see where those coffee beans came from. And that uses blockchain in the background, but consumers don't know that. They just see that you know they can see where their beans are coming from. And and actually more gen- more generally, I think that's that's like the the most innovative, interesting startup using blockchain as an enabled technology that opts in the background, and then they're doing something else that is is interesting. Like with Regen, it's this satellite imagery. That's really the core of what they're doing. And then and, and, and blockchain's kind of there to reinforce that that other digital technology that they're they're leveraging. So yeah, so so generally B2B, but in the future, you know, as people gain 
um, the public gains more confidence in in blockchain, maybe through cryptocurrencies, you might see more more B to C use cases um, that emerge in these other other industries. And uh, yeah, he's he's absolutely George is absolutely right. Uh, you know, even outside of this space, that most of what we see um, initially in people using blockchain is B two B, and then B two B to C before B two C. And part of that, it's, I think, it's for the two reasons that that George kind of alluded to. One is that uh, you know there's been educational work to explain the value of, of blockchains to businesses, and it hasn't necessarily filtered to the end customer, the end user yet, who, who maybe only sees it as an investment, right? Uh, you know, I bought some crypto, uh, you know, and now I want to evade U.S. taxes or something. But it, but but re- really, that's coming. And, and part of what people in the industry are doing are trying to also build out the tools, right? Like uh, B2B tools are, are easier to make and they come first and they're maybe more limited. You don't have to have all of the niceties of a consumer-facing tool. So, you know, for now, you know, people are, are selling to companies for creating marketplaces such as Orange created with NowCP, uh, which is a, a, a platform for companies to issue commercial paper and buy it. So it's an investment and it's really just a, a B2B marketplace and the companies just have to understand it, not the individuals. There's uh, automated settlement. You might think of that for telecom roaming or, or much of other industries, the supply chain kind of stuff that George was talking about, logistics and shipping, other data sharing platforms that are coming into being. But they're, you know, it's easier to sell, I think, B2B. And then for B2C, one of the things you need is, is, is to get everybody on some kind of a blockchain identity, like a self-sovereign identity to make a lot of this stuff feasible. Um, I alluded to a DeFi, decentralized finance. That's kind of a, a, a B2C product. And then the, the big thing that people are wanting to build is what they call Web3. And it's, it's, it's a whole topic into itself. It's building decentralized applications. So instead of an application where all of your data and all of the app is sitting in a data center, you know, for Twitter or Google or somebody like that, they want to build one that's anchored to the blockchain and the data is more decentralized. So you have things like Ethereum blockchain, which was the original intent of this. You have other blockchains that are trying to be the, you know, better than Ethereum. You have uh, storage, decentralized storage, something called IPFS, which is uh, incentivized by Filecoin. And the idea, we'll kind of know this is true when somebody has built, and people have built prototypes, but somebody has built like a real, like say, decentralized Twitter or decentralized Facebook, and that people actually are able to start using it. Then you'll know you can, you, you really reach consumers with a, a blockchain-based product. But that's still a little bit away, but, but yeah. B2B is here now. I see. see. Let me... I want to get something in here, well, especially when, when with with the sustain, sustainability topic on the table. Uh, one of the common criticisms it's often said about blockchain solutions is is the that they require lots of electricity. That it requires lots of power for the processing that's required to to make transactions happen, right? Uh, can, can you guys tell me a little bit more about what's happening with that? Do you see startups having any solutions to that when it comes to providing? Uh, you know, maybe solutions to enterprises who care about their carbon footprints and responsibility track records. Yeah, uh, so I, I can start with this one. So, um, so actually, you know, in my view, this topic's received quite a bit of hype uh, in, in the sense that yeah. actually it's like 
it, 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 and it's not just about blockchain energy use. There's actually a general energy tech clash, uh, you could call it, um, mm-hmm. about the energy footprint of the IT sector. Um, and th- so there's actually a great article that listeners may want to check out uh, by uh, Colin Cunliffe, who's with the Information Tech and Innovation Foundation in D.C., um, that, that kind of goes through some some of the, the claims that, that have been made and debunks these. Um, and so, so actually... With respect to, to blockchain, um, and it's especially the Bitcoin mining that, that people have really kind of criticized, you know, very, very heavily. And there's even been claims like Bitcoin emissions alone could push global warming above two degrees C Celsius. So like like just Bitcoin, none of the other, um, you know, carbon emissions coming from anything else are going to like destroy the planet. Basically, is that that claim? Um, and 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 so if if you look at that, it doesn't really stand up to, to you know, a, kind of like a, a basic reasonableness test. In that, actually, a, a lot of the the um, Bitcoin mining is done uh, using renewable um, uh, power. So you know, it, so there the carbon emissions are are minimal or zero, um, and. Uh, um, Bitcoin mining has, has become much more efficient over time. So, so the the the, the studies that, that that claim these kind of crazy projections for Bitcoin uh, mining energy use assume that that the mining is not going to get more efficient in the future, um, at, or that it hasn't to date, and that um, we're not going to use more renewables in the future than we are now. Both of which really aren't true. So, like right, right our trend lines that you see going. In yeah, the, other the lines direction. are going really in the other direction. Mm-hmm. So, like yeah. from the 2000s to today, I just looked up some of these these stats. It, it basically, um, if you look at the CPUs that were used back in the 2000s um, for Bitcoin mining uh, versus the the hardware today, it's basically like a million times more energy efficient today in terms of hashes per joule of energy. Um, and, and then if you look at Renewable energy use, uh, CoinShares estimates that renewables account for 74% um, of the energy use uh, to, to mine Bitcoins. And that's much higher than the total percentage of renewables on the grid globally right now. So um, so actually, so, so startups and, and corporates that are using blockchain have like quite a few straightforward solutions they can use. So one is just to use more renewable energy to power blockchains. Um, so, you know, put them next to solar farms, put them next to wind farms um, and, and just use entirely renewable energy. Another is, um, and John could elaborate on this, um, using alt- alternative consensus mechanisms that are more energy efficient. Um, a third is they can verify renewable energy use. Um, and this is essentially what Google, Apple and others are doing already in terms of, of data, data center energy use. You know, they put out very detailed reports. Some of them can show you real time use of renewable power for their data centers to just to prove to people that they really are using clean energy to, to power their, 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 their IT systems. Um, and, and then there's industry consortia out there. Um, there's one called the Crypto Climate Accord, which we'll actually hear about hopefully in the, in the event, um, which are, are kind of bringing together different players, including startups, to address this problem. Because it, it, while it's true that, that the emissions are not as catastrophic as or as high as as you'll see in, in a lot of these in kind of the hyped press it, it still is an issue that you know needs to be addressed so um yeah that's what i'd say there okay thanks that seems like a fair answer uh last question i've got for you here today how would you characterize blockchain interest at the enterprise level right now uh in terms of being an option people consider 
in the context of re corporate responsibility standards, what types of use cases do you see there uh, tending to be in alignment with what blockchain solutions are actually delivering versus not? Yeah, so um, so so here I think uh, it, the the timing matters a lot, like as to when when these solutions are are introduced. Like I, I think hype cycles have generated some skepticism around blockchain, and and so so I I, I think in the corporate responsibility space, there needs to be like a, a clear and pressing demand for, for, for the technology for it to, you know, to, to, to take off beyond the pilot stage. Um, like there's a lot of pilots out there, but to go, to go beyond pilots, I, I think you need like a, a, you know, clear and pressing need. And so like, uh, corporate cl climate commitments is one area where I think is actually a great opportunity for this. So there's like 1,500 companies have made net zero carbon commitments, and they need to procure carbon credits right now. And there isn't really a functioning marketplace for these credits that needs to be built. And and it, it, there's no reason why it shouldn't really be built using blockchain, in my opinion, um, because you know it, it, this is a case where you don't have to so much deal with all these regulatory hurdles that you have to kind of take apart to apply blockchain, for example, to the energy sector. If you look at carbon markets, um, you can kind of build them from the ground up. And some of the startups like Nori, who we'll hear from, are are starting to do this, where they're they're, they're um, uh, using blockchain to um, either generate tokens that that represent carbon taken removed from the atmosphere. Um, or, or startups like Regen that are are also selling carbon credits and and, and really building trust in them using using blockchains. George, thank you for those thoughts, and and John, thank thank you very much for chiming in and, and helping out here too, because these are some very complex technical issues with a lot of different perspectives out there within the industry, outside of the industry, and among potential customers. So I, I appreciate your perspective on this. So uh, if anybody liked what, what you heard today, I hope you'll come and join us on uh, May 5th for our next Hello Wednesday event. And there's more information about that on orangesv.com. You'll find a blog entry that John Eisenman recently wrote up there. Uh, and you'll find more information on the event page about how to come join us. So uh, thank you guys. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say as we're getting ready for the event. I know this has been a day-by-day real-time development in terms of some excellent guests we're getting who will join us as well. Um, thank you. Thank you for having us. And um, I'm very much looking forward to the event. We've got a great panel. And I think that people will be generally surprised at how much real business uh, use cases and real work uh, – People have been building. Uh, just to preface it, there's a lot of hype recently about things like NFT, and people have been telling to me, wow, NFT came out of the blue. But no, people have been designing and building uh, how NFTs are going to work for three years now. And similarly, people have been building, um, you know, uh, socially responsible and real world uh, business use cases. So we'll hear about those at the event. Right. I, I'm excited to hear more, hear, hear more of the day of the event. So once again, May 5th, please join us. Go visit orangesv.com, follow Orange Silicon Valley on Twitter at orange underscore SV and uh, go find us on LinkedIn. We're orange, orange Silicon Valley on there. So thank you, everybody. Thanks for all of you who joined us to listen today. And we'll be back with more great conversations for you next time on the Orange Silicon Valley Bistrocast. Cast.